Well, it's been a minute since we've been here, and uh, it's good to see so many old faces, I should say familiar faces, start off on the right foot here. And I was also telling Brother Jeremiah a minute ago, it's also wonderful to see new faces, faces we don't recognize. I was honored uh, a few weeks back when, when Brother Heath called me and, uh, and asked me and said, hey, the, uh, the senior class has unanimously decided to have me come in. And uh, I just really honored, unanimous, you heard right. I, I had to had double take on that, but it was, a, it was a, a wonderful privilege. You ever come to a church service and you just feel like, man, the preacher's preaching right at me. Well, Avery, it's, that's, that's tonight. Uh, it's, it's no getting around it. I mean, you're the only guy. Uh, so uh, in all honesty, I, I'm truly honored uh, to, to be here and have a part in this special night. And on behalf of Avery, I want to thank everybody, friends and family alike, for being here on this very special night. Let's open God's word together tonight to 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. I joked just a moment ago about the size of the senior class, and let's be honest, it is a little uh, unusual to see a a graduating class of one. Uh, It's unusual, but it's not original. Uh, There have been many graduating classes of one throughout uh, the years, not just here, but other maybe smaller schools and uh, different situations, different uh, 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 arrangements. It's called for a graduating class of one. But did you know there's a graduating class of one in Scripture? It's actually found here in our passage tonight in 2 Kings chapter 2. If you found it, wonderful. If you haven't, just look intelligently at whatever page you're on, and we'll just all assume that you have it. And as it is the tradition of here, our church, uh, our, our church central, uh, to stand uh, for the reading of God's words. Let's all stand for just a moment as we read the text. I'm going to read aloud. You can follow along silently. 2 Kings chapter 2, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Elisha, Tarry here, here I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as, the, my, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came from Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were with Je- at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou not the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went by and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do to thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. 
And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. When the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Father in heaven, we thank you for this momentous occasion we have come to, to celebrate tonight. Lord, I know these next few moments we're just going to spend and, and, and celebrate the accomplishment of, of Avery in graduating high school. But we also recognize that tonight is a culmination of 17 years of, of preparation, of, of love and investment into the life of this young man. So God, I pray these next few moments as we look to your word that, yes, Avery will be challenged for the days ahead. Lord, I pray that your word will not just speak to Avery, but we're so thankful that you've told us your word does not return void. And as we open your word tonight, we can trust that you will faithfully feed us from it. So God, I pray every single person in this room, graduate or not, may we listen intently to what you have for us today. May we clear our hearts and minds of any distractions. Listen solely for your message. Lord, I pray you'll bless me these next few moments as I preach this, thy message to these thy people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before we look at the text of 2 Kings chapter 2, it's important to understand that Israel, at this point in history, has become a pagan nation. As a nation that has turned its back from the very God that took them out of the bondage of Israel so long ago. Now they've turned their back on God. And while many in Israel had forgotten God, it's important also to note that God had not forgotten his people. They had been unfaithful to him, but he had still been faithful to them. And he demonstrated his faithfulness during this time in Israel's history by sending them messengers. We call them prophets. Probably one of the most notable prophets during this time in Israel's history was a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah was God's voice during this wicked time in Israel. I think most of us are familiar with the most common story, most well-known story of Elijah. Of course, it was during a time when the nation of Israel served false gods, specifically Baal. And Elijah decided he was going to... Uh, starts a competition. He, he decided he was going to make a, a once and for all decision to have the 450 prophets of Baal meet him on a mountain called Carmel. There they would stand, and there he, he gave the terms of this arrangement. He said, I'm going to build, I'll let you build an altar, and you put a sacrifice on it, and you pray to your God, and if fire comes down from your God, then we'll all worship your God, Baal. And I'll do the same. I'll build an altar. I'll put a sacrifice on it. And I'll pray to my God. And if my God answers by fire, then we'll worship our God, Jehovah God. So the, the, the competition began. As many of us know the story, those 450 prophets of Baal, they put that, that sacrifice on the altar. They began to beg and cry out, oh, Baal, oh, Baal. Time went on and no answer, no fire from heaven. So they thought, i got to get the attention of my God. They began to scream even louder and take sharp objects and cut themselves. And eventually it got to the point where Elijah said, okay, enough's enough. You guys have had your turn. I'm going to take my turn now. We know the story. He takes the water and he, he, he pours it all over the sacrifice. He digs a ditch around the altar. He fills it with, uh, with water as well. And, and then he prays and he calls on God and God hears the voice of his servant. And he didn't have to cut himself. He didn't have to cry repeatedly. He just asked one time and that one time God answered by fire. What a wonderful thing happened that day. Of course, we know Elijah then kills all 450 prophets of Baal. 
This guy was an incredibly wonderful, powerful man of God during that time in history. Shortly thereafter, that, that experience at Mount Carmel, God comes to Elijah and says, listen, it's time for you to begin training your protege, your, your replacement. You're not going to be here forever. So God takes Elijah and takes him to the hillside area of Galilee, that northern part of Israel, and he finds a, a young man by the name of Elisha who's working the family field. He comes to him and he calls on Elisha, hey, follow me. And uh, Elisha does that very thing. That, that very thing. And uh, as from history indication, about the next 10 or so years, Elisha follows Elijah. As he follows him, no doubt, Elisha, knowing what day is coming, he's watching very keenly every move that, that his mentor is making. He's listening to how he preaches the word of God and the message of God and how he handles himself around the pagan culture and what he does and his mannerisms. He's, he's soaking it all in. And no doubt during these 10 years or so, they're, they're growing close. There, there's, a, there's a bond forming uh, similar to that of a father and son. But then the day comes where we're at in our text in 2 Kings chapter number 2. Now what we just read a moment ago, it's... It's somewhat of an odd story, especially for a, a graduation. I mean, if you think about what we just read, Elijah wakes up one day and God says, Hey, Elijah, it's time. I'm going to take you to heaven today. You're coming home to me. Before we do so, I want you to take a trip. I want you to go to a, a town called Bethel. I want you to go there. And, and so he says, Okay, Elisha, listen, you stay here. God wants me to go to Bethel. I'm going to go. And Elisha says, Nice try, pal. I'm following you. You're not leaving me anywhere. So he goes to Bethel, and he gets there, and then God says, okay, you made it there. Now I want you to go to Jericho. So he looks again at Elijah and says, Elisha, this is where you and me part ways, man. God told me, just me, to go to Jericho. And again, Elisha says, I'm not leaving your side. And then finally, once he gets to Jericho, God says, okay, now I want you to go to Jordan. And again, third time, he looks at Elisha and says, okay, I'm so thankful that you followed me. I know you love me, but you stay. I got to go. And Elisha says, I'm not leaving you. They get to the Jordan River. The Bible says that, that Elijah takes off his, his mantle, that outer coat, and he wraps it, and he smacks the water of the, of, the, of the Jordan River, and that river parts hither and thither, and they walk across and dry around. They get to the other side. They begin to talk for a little while, and then out of nowhere, a whirlwind comes, and a chariot of fire comes and takes up Elijah, leaving Elisha there on his own. And again, that's somewhat of an unusual story. Again, we, we, we can think of that story as we read it and we just kind of heard it again. It's hard to see how does that have any relevancy to tonight. But I believe, and I'm going to show you from God's word tonight, I think what we're seeing in this passage of scripture very closely parallels what's happening tonight. In fact, I would say the, the parallels between Elijah and Elisha and what's happening tonight and the relationship that Avery has had with leaders in his life, I think that parallel begins even way before 2 Kings chapter 2. I think it goes all the way back to when they were first introduced to one another. We didn't take time to look at it, but in your own time, you can go back to 1 Kings 19, and you'll see that when he came to that farmland and he looked at Elisha and he called him to follow him, it didn't just work out where he just said, hey, follow me, I want you to be my, my protege, I want you to, you're going to be the next prophet. It didn't work that way. The Bible reads that Elisha's minding on a business, he's, he's working the field, and he looks up and he sees a guy coming his way. Now, it's not just any guy. The Bible is very clear on, on what Elijah looked like. The Bible says he was a hairy man, and he was fond of leather. He wore leather everywhere. I mean, in my mind, this is just me. He's an, he's an Old Testament biker. 
Like you've got hell's angels. He's Mount Carmel's prophets. Like he's a, he's a bad man. But Jan, this guy, he, he's coming down. And when he gets to the farm, he doesn't peacefully say, hey, pal, come here. He does something odd. Now, I know we, we, we're not in that culture, so there's some context we're missing. But just from us reading it, he takes off his coat, he throws it on him, and walks away. Again, if that happened in the mall, I think we would be scratching our, what just happened? You forgot your jacket, sir. I, we, I don't know how that would go. It was an awkward introduction. Now, I can't speak for Miss Nicole and, and how she was first introduced to Avery, but I know how awkward my introduction to my children were. All three of them have their own unique, awkward introductions to us as parents, but none more so than our oldest. Uh, we were here in Hattiesburg. We had been here almost a year at that point, and we were getting ready to have our first child. And in my mind, I had it all played out. I knew what was going to happen. We had a, a date set with our doctor of when the delivery date was. So we had it on our calendar. I just imagined that day was going to come. The alarm was going to go off in our, in our bedroom, and my wife was going to turn the, the, the clock off and say, Sweetheart, it's time to bring a child into the world. And I would look at her and say, let's go, let's do it. And we would get up together and I would carefully walk her to the car. We would get in the car and we would start driving towards Forest General, holding hands, just thinking about, this is going to be great. We would get there and we'd walk into the birthing ward of Forest General and say, the Mitchells are here to deliver our child. And they would say, oh, we've been waiting on you. Here's a bottled water. Let's show you to your birthing suite. We would go to the birthing suite. My wife would get nice and re relaxed in the very comfortable beds there and lay there. And, and they would come in and the doctor would get the process started. And, and I, as her coach, would step in and go, all right, honey, let's do this. <laughs> and she was going to go. <laughs> and in between it, every few often, I'd say, I love you, babe. I love you, too. <laughs> and then just a few moments, not much pain. The child would come into the world, and I would hold him, the first child, and a tear would come down. I'm a dad. He's beautiful. But that's not how it went. <laughs> it was just a few days before that date came. We were actually at a church on a Sunday night like this in February. We went out to eat afterwards to a, a restaurant with some friends in the church, and we ate something, and then my wife ate something that did not agree with her, and that night she got food poisoning. When she's pregnant, that's, that's important, so we went to the doctor, the ER, late on a Sunday night, and said, look, she's, she's, she's got some food poisoning. She can't keep stuff down. What do we do? And they said, look, you're close enough. Let's just go and have this thing. That's what they said, like, have this thing. Like, <laughs> bring my child into the world, you mean? But they said, oh, let's just go ahead and do this. And so they, 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 they get us in the room, and within like just moments, the whirlwind. I didn't get a bottle of water. We didn't get an escort. I mean, we were there in the birthing suite. And then I thought, okay, we're good. This thing will start to take where I thought it would go. And then the pain set in. I'm like, it's okay, honey. <laughs> Shut up and give me something. <laughs> okay. I grab her hand and like, come on, baby, we can do this. And, and it was the pain set in. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. My coaching's not working. It's, it's not, the problem's not being solved. And it was so late at night, I thought, I know, I'll distract my wife. 
I'll find something to get her mind off the pain. So I grab the remote and I turn the television on. I don't know the last time you watched TV at that time of night. Anything that's decent to watch is boring. We're going through like CVS, I mean, uh, QVC, I mean, not CVS, QVC and Home Shopping Network. We're flipping through the channels. And finally, thankfully, we land on the most appropriate show. I say that tongue in cheek. We landed on cops. And my wife immediately said, leave it there. <laughs> okay. And so look, if you, were, if you had got a, a text from us or saw on Facebook that, hey, we're, giving, we're getting ready to have our baby, it would not have been hard for you to find the room we were in. Because you would have just listened for the room that's going, <laughs> bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? That's where we would have been, right there, Mitchell's. And then the baby comes out. I called a baby. It looked like an organ. <laughs> it came out. And again, I was thinking, oh, I went, uh, a different kind of noise. They said, didn't you? I'm like, wash it off. Clean. Let's make sure it's a thing. And let's come on. It went nothing like what I thought it would go. My, my initial introduction to my, again, I can't speak for Miss Nicole. Maybe hers was just perfect like I wanted mine to be. I can, but I can speak to my introduction to Avery. I, I was the youth pastor, and at the time when he first started coming, he was still third grade or so, a young man. But for me, uh, in the few interactions I would have with him, maybe at a, a game time at chapel or, or, or some other way in which I, he always struck me as the cool kid in the class. You know, third grade, other kids running around, ah! Avery's how you doing? Like, he's the, he's too cool, you know? In fact, I went through my phone. If you do, on your iPhones, you can actually go through your pictures and you can pick a face. And you can like see every picture in your phone that has a face on it. And I was like, I want to try to prepare and think about Avery. So I, I clicked his face and I scrolled all the way to the bottom. I wanted to see when I first met him. And the earliest picture, I think is so appropriate and it says, exactly what Avery is when it's just again this is not even a teenager he's just a kid at this point you got the picture back there fellas you put on the screen notice Avery's face I don't know if you can see it that well I can just read his thoughts I think he's looking there going are we just going to pretend this grown adult's acting like a kid and it's all okay He, he was, and look, I wish I could tell you that that, that, that dynamic changed, but even as a teen in the youth department, sometimes you try to get, you got to get crazy, you got to be, ah, and, and you want everyone to get involved, and sometimes you're just a kid, it's like, hmm, that was Avery. He even influenced our kids. I remember one day, uh, we had a, a, a hutch in our living room that had our TV, in, and next to it, we had one of those little tight basketball goals. And I was watching television, and, and out of nowhere, I don't remember which one it was, out of nowhere came running down the hallway one of our little boys, and he dunked on that thing so hard, boom, it almost scared me. And he turned around and went, let's go! Like, Where did you get that? And he goes, ball is life, Dad. Like, you're three. Avery. That's who it was. And so I think the parallels of this text could, could definitely be applied to the first awkward introduction. But I think the parallels we want to see tonight are found here in 2 Kings chapter number 2. You see, in some sense, Elisha was graduating. In some sense, Elijah, Elisha had followed Elijah for many years. 
For those 10 or so years, he had learned from him. He had followed his example. He had grown close to him. But the time had come for Elijah, the, the mentor, the spiritual influence, the leader in his life, to step aside. And for Elisha to begin the work that God had for him to do. And so we saw that transition at the end of chapter 2. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the end of the text where we read how it all transpired. But I want you to focus more on the first part of that particular text. That, that seemingly random journey that they took. I call it random because when you see it on a map, it doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, if you, if, if, if guys, you'll show that first slide of that map. You're going to see where they began is in green and where they ended was in red. Looking at that, logic tells you that's just a pretty short trip. I mean, that's not too far away. But I want you to notice the actual journey they took according to 2 Kings chapter 2. Show the next slide, if you will. I mean, talk about way out of the way. And the Bible is clear in 2 Kings that God directed every single step of that journey. He told Elijah, go here, go here, go here, go here. Now, I know many of us in this room, we believe tonight, if not all of us, that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So let me look at a text like this and go, what's the profit there? What, what's the application, not just for Avery tonight, but for all of us? How can that text apply to me? Go a step further. I think another version, Romans chapter 15, the Bible says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Meaning that everything in Scripture, all the stories we read in the Old Testament, they were handpicked by God himself for our benefit. Do you know there's a lot of things that took place in Elijah and Elisha's life that we don't see in Scripture? But yet God chose not just, he could have easily just showed the last part of the story, but God recorded in Scripture the journey that they took to get there. Again, when you first look at that, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because when you go through the text again, you're going to find when they got to those cities, there was no message preached. No miracle. It would make sense if he got there and he preached one last message to Bethel. If he got to, to Jericho and he healed somebody and a great miracle was recorded in Scripture, a testimony to God. None of it. They just go to this city, stop, go to the next one. It seems to not make any sense. It seems to be random. But upon further study, rightly dividing the word of truth, I believe you're going to see there's more to the text than what meets the eye. I believe, and I want to show you tonight, that, that God, through Elijah, was taking Elisha to three very specific places before he graduated. Three places that were very important for Elisha to be reminded of before he began his journey, before he became his own man, before he began what God had planned for his life. And Avery, it's those same places that your mom, your teachers, pastors leading your life have tried to lead you the past 17 years. And I want to take you to those three places quickly tonight. Before we do that, I think it's important to see where we started from. Look at verse number one in your text again, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number one. The Bible says, And it came to pass, and the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. 
Now, for many of us, we see the word Gilgal, and we just think, well, that's just a, a name of a Bible location. But to the Jews, and specifically in this text, Elisha, Gilgal was a significant place. We won't take the time to turn to it tonight, but if you went to Joshua chapter 4, you'd read how the children of Israel just crossed over the Jordan River. They had just entered the promised land, Canaan land. And it was in Gilgal that they set up camp after crossing the Jordan River. You see, just a little bit further to the west lie the enemies. Enemies like Jericho and Ai and Gibeah. Those were coming, but now at this spot, they were safe. It was at this spot that he had yet to engage in battle. And it was this spot where God, through Joshua, prepared Israel for battle. See, Gilgal wasn't just a random place. Gilgal represents a place of preparation. In many ways, tonight, Avery, as you walk across this platform, you're leaving your Gilgal. Everything so far in your life has brought you to this moment. You're moments away from beginning your battles and hopefully seeing your own spiritual victories. And by the way, before we get too far along, let me just address moms and dads who have kids who haven't reached this moment tonight. Mom and dads whose kids are still in Gilgal, you better be preparing them for battle. Don't waste this time in Gilgal. You better be making sure that you're doing everything you can to prepare your young person for the day that we're at tonight for Avery. I wonder tonight if you asked yourself and honestly assessed, is my kid ready? If they had to go into Gilgal, have I done an adequate job of preparing? I think any parent worth his salt is probably going to answer, no, I haven't. But have you put forth the effort Have you sought the Lord's wisdom? Are you preparing? I know we're celebrating Avery tonight. And listen, I can tell you right now, and she's not going to talk, but I can guarantee you, uh, Miss Nicole will testify, this night's going to get here quicker than you think. Before you know it, they'll be leaving Gilgal. You better have them ready. But where do they go? Where's the first stop on this itinerary? The first place we see in verse number two, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Again, for many of us, the city of Bethel, and some say Bethel is maybe just a name we recognize from reading our Bible. But we don't immediately recognize its significance. But if you look through the Old Testament, you're going to find that Bethel is a a, a place of significance. In fact, the word Beth in Hebrew is is the same word for house. So Bethlehem, Beth, house, Lehem, the bread, Bethlehem is the house of bread. El in the Bible is the, na- is, is, is the word God. That's why you have words like uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Elohim, God the judge or God the creator, El Elyon, God most high. And so you put the two together, Beth El, you have the house of God. You'll actually find that this location of Bethel, before it became a city, it was Abraham who, this is the first place that Abraham set up an altar and offered a sacrifice to God. You're going to find that also in Abraham's life, several times he made trips back to Bethel to offer a sacrifice there. Even in this pagan time in 2 Kings 2, it was still revered as a worship place. I think, though, the most notable place, the most significant of Bethel is found in Genesis 35, 15. You don't have to turn to it tonight. I'll read it to you. The Bible says, And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. You see, tonight, Bethel represents the place where God speaks to you. 
Avery, this is why your mom has done everything she could to make sure you are in church every time you could be. She could have easily taken an easy road as a single mom and said, I know Sundays are my day just to chill. But she made it a point, every, as, as much as she could, as all as she could, she was going to make sure you were in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why? She was going to have you in the place where God could speak to you. You're graduating Central Baptist School tonight. I, I think that Miss Nicole probably chose this school not just because of the wonderful uh, academics you'll, you'll receive, and I think you have. But more importantly, she knew that at Central Baptist School, you have a Bible class every day. She knew that you come to Central Baptist School, that everything you're taught is taught from a Bible perspective. She knows that they're going to have chapel at least once a week. So for Miss Nicole, it wasn't just a school. No, it was a place where God could speak to her son. As a teenager, I, I, I think I could speak for Brother John as well. As I was a youth pastor for you and Brother John has been, I hope you can look back over your teen years and you can say you had a blast. I hope you can think of the youth activities and the, and the camps and the trips that we took. I hope you look back and you can smile about the teen years and all the things you experienced. But most importantly, I hope you can look back to this time and remember, yeah, we had a great time at that camp that year, but I also, that was when God spoke to me. I, I remember that trip we took. Man, we had a blast, but God also spoke to me that. I, we had an activity, but then John got up, he gave a devotion, and man, God spoke to me that night. I hope that uh, from, from this point on, you'll remember those points, those opportunities where you were placed, where God could speak to you. That's why I think it's wonderful that this church invests so much into young people. Because look, we have to have, our young people have to have a place in this world where they can come and they can hear the voice of God. The church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of truth, and I applaud you for continuing to make an emphasis of reaching the young people and providing the environment where God can speak to them. By the way, speaking to the, the teenagers, the young people who are still in Gilgal, I know sometimes you, maybe in the school or a youth department, even at your home, you've got rules that you don't like. This is not the time to nod your head, by the way. Just, just look at me. We both, we all know, just it's understood. There are rules that don't make any sense to you. There are rules that frustrate you. I mean, you may get, I don't get what's so important about how I dress, and I don't get what's so important about what music I do. I don't, I don't get what's so important about the friends I have, whether I can date or not. I don't, I don't get that. And can I be really just transparent with you? In the grand scheme of things, some of those rules really don't matter. Because ultimately, what the leaders in your life are trying to do, they're just trying to get you to a place where God can speak to you. And it might mean they have to put some rules in your place to keep some things out. And it's not that they're trying to make your life miserable. It's not trying, no, no, no. They're saying, if I can just get them to the place where God can speak to them, God will take care of the rest. God will tell you how to dress. God will tell you what kind of music you got to listen to. God will tell you who your friends should be. God will tell you whether you ought to date or not. If he can just get you to the place where God can speak to you, God will take care of the rest. Again, parents, let's make it a priority. Always have your young people in the place where God can speak to them. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If he's got a camp, you do everything you can to go to camp. My kids are going to camp this year. We're not big enough to have our own camp like you guys do, and so we have to go to another camp. And let me just tell you, it is significantly more expensive than the camps we had here significantly. 
I'm talking like a week's pay significantly for all three of my kids to go, but you can mark it down. I don't care what I have to do. My kids are going to camp because I know that's the place where God can speak to them. It's a priority. We ought to make it a priority. And so, Avery, as you get ready to leave your Gilgal tonight, I want to remind you of the wonderful place that your mom has worked so hard to put you in, this Bethel, house of God, the place where God can speak to you. And I wonder tonight, not just for Avery, but to all of us, when's the last time God spoke to you? When's the last time you felt the conviction of God upon your heart? Avery, I have to tell you, listen, more important than the job you work, more important than the spouse you marry, the college you go to, where you live, the money you make, the most important priority in your life is being in the place where God can speak to you. The most important place to be in your life. By the way, let me just say this. From almost anywhere in Israel, Bethel was an uphill climb. That means to get to the place where God has to speak to you, it requires some effort. It doesn't come easy. You got to have some self-discipline. You got to make it a priority to be at church, to have the walk with God. But I can promise you, it's worth it. So the first place they went to was Bethel. Notice the second place. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now, most of us in the room tonight, we understand the significance of Jericho. Jericho was that first obstacle that stood between the Israelites and the promised land. Its towering walls and giants struck fear into the heart of Israelites. And the, the, the enemy they faced for those Israelites, they thought this is an impossible enemy. In fact, this wall, this enemy, stood in the way of the people of God enjoying what God had for his people. This was, uh, it, was, it was impenetrable in their mind. But what did they do when they were faced with that? Very simple. They obeyed the command of God. As awkward as it was, because we all know the story. God said, hey, look, guys, come out there once a day. March around that wall. Just do it one time and go home. On that seventh day, march around seven times. On the seventh time, don't climb the wall. Don't throw rocks. Don't try to, no, no, just scream and shout and clap and make all kinds of noise. As foolish as it sounds, they obeyed. And a great victory was seen there that day. As a Christian tonight, all of us know, we still have an appetite for sin. Every single one of us, we have a desire to fulfill the lust of our flesh. And when we sin, and we all do, from the men on the platform to the people in the pew, we all sin. But when that sin is not dealt with in our life, when that sin goes unconfessed and unchecked in our lives, that sin can become a stone in our heart. And if left long enough, the Bible teaches us that it can become what, what the Bible calls a stronghold. That sin can be like those impenetrable walls of Jericho. They can form a wall around your heart, keeping the child of God from the life that God wants for his child. Avery, over the past several years, there have been times when leaders in your life, maybe your mom or teacher or youth pastor or pastor, They've noticed some strongholds in your life. Maybe they couldn't put their finger on it and say this is the problem, but they could just perceive as the leaders in your life could that, man, there's something, there's something in the way of Avery being what he should be. There's a problem there. I don't know what it is. I, I can't say specifically, but I just know we're not getting through to him, and I just sense something about his spirit. He's not the young person he should be. And the leaders and your mom, they could have had, they had an option. They could have said, you know what, I'm not going to fight this battle. It's just a phase. Or 
They could have done what the Israelites did, and thankfully she did, your leaders did. When those walls were seen in your life, all they did was simply obey the word of God, and they continued to march around the walls of your heart, every day praying for you, every day coming to God on your behalf, every day staying consistent to the rules, as awkward as they may have been. Listen, sometimes, teenagers, listen, it's not easy being the parent and enforcing the rules sometimes. It does feel weird. Sometimes the world makes our rules look like they don't make sense. We sometimes we, we feel like the Israelites walking around the walls like this is, I don't get it. It feels that way sometimes, but what we find is when we consistently obey the word of God, God brings the victory. There have been many times. I, I, I gotta I'll be honest, as a pastor now, you heard right, Pastor Mitchell. As a pastor now, I'm gonna give you some wisdom. Uh, as a pastor, there's some things that I don't miss about youth ministry. And the one of them that's kind of a bittersweet one is teen camp. I, I, I don't miss sleeping on the beds. No, 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 no insult at all. I, I, I don't like sleeping on the beds. I didn't like the hot, the full of boys and they're sweaty, dealing with all that. The food was incredible, but the, you know, just, ugh, I want to be home. But there are some things that I do miss. I miss the fun, the games, the themes, the competitions, hobo hunting, weird stuff, laser tag. I miss some of that stuff. But the thing I miss most are the bonfires on Thursday night. Because you were to share the perspective of a leader at camp. Every year you'd find at least one or two. They show up on Monday and the walls are up. They're there because they're made to be there. They're there because they were their friends are there. I'm going to have fun. But I'm not making a decision. I'll sing. I'll clap. I'll do my games. But don't expect much. But after spending four days in a place where God could speak to them, that last night, it happened so often. You'd find around that bonfire, that tough old facade that they had, that little bottom lip would start to quiver. In just a few short moments, you'd find tears. And what was that? You say, well, they're just emotional. They're just tired. No, no, no. Those were walls coming down. Those were the walls that they had built up and allowed to be there and come crashing down. And Avery, listen, I hope as you move on from your Gilgal tonight, you'll always remember those moments where in your own heart the walls came down and the peace that followed, knowing, man, I'm right with God. May that motivate you to never let another wall go up. To always deal with your sin promptly. And as you leave Gilgal tonight, Avery, don't forget Bethel, how important it is to be a place where God can speak to you. Don't forget Jericho. Because here's the truth, when you leave here in the next few weeks and months and your rest of your life, you're going to sin. And hopefully not, but it's possible, strongholds may come up in your life. And when they do, remember, walls have and walls will come down if you'll just obey the Lord. Lastly, the last place we find them is found in verse number 6. And Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. Centuries prior to this moment, Elijah and Elisha's forefathers stood on the banks of this very river. They faced a decision that day. We can cross over this Jordan River and claim the promised land, or we can remain in the wilderness. As we, know, as we all know, because of fear and a lack of faith, they chose to settle for the wilderness. In fact, it wouldn't be for another 40 years later that another generation would have the faith and the courage to cross the river and take what God had promised them. 
And as Elisha stood on the banks of that same river, he knew that it wasn't just a historical location. The, the banks of that Jordan River, it represented a place of complete commitment. I think all of us know some people tonight, Christians, who've chosen to settle for life in the wilderness. Christians who at some point in their past, they had an opportunity to, 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 to fully commit to God, a decision that would require faith and courage, but they chose instead to settle for the wilderness. Davey, for the past years, the leaders in your life, we've tried, we've tried so hard to demonstrate to you that there is nothing better than a life fully committed to God. Is it easy? Not always. Is it problem-free? Nope. But there's nothing that beats when you lay your head down at night and all the distractions are gone. Your phone's not there, the TV's not on, and the quiet before you drift into sleep knowing when it's just you and your God, I'm right with him. Knowing I'm exactly where he wants me to be. I'm in his will. I'm doing what he's commanded me to do. So Avery, we see tonight there's three places that Elijah brought Elisha. They're the same three places that your mom, teachers, pastors, and other leaders have tried to bring you to. A place where God can speak to you. A place where the walls can come down in a place of total commitment. But I want you to notice one last thing and we're going to be done tonight. Look at verse number 12. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Verse 13, he took, also, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Avery, in just a moment, you're going to be handed a high school diploma. And you've waited long and you've worked hard for it. That diploma tonight is a symbol of the accomplishments we're celebrating tonight. You're graduating high school. But in sticking with the parallel of this particular text, I challenge you tonight to view that diploma not just as a symbol of accomplishment, but also as a symbol of the product of preparation that's gone into you all these years. See, Elisha had a choice that day. When he saw the mantle of Elijah, he could have picked it up and said, I'm going to embrace what's been put into me. And I'm going to go forward with it. I'm going to see God do in, what I, in my life what he did in my predecessor's life. He could have done that. Or he could have looked at, the, at that mantle and said, no, nah, I'm going to try my own thing. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to carve my own path. In many ways, Avery, tonight, it's your mantle moment. It's the moment you decide, I'm going to take what's been put into me and continue. Or I'm going to leave it behind and waste the preparation. Whatever you choose, it's important to know that last verse we read in verse 15, and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said the spirit of the Lord does rest on Elijah. See, there were some men who were watching to see just what Elisha was going to do next. Now that Elijah was gone, what's he going to do? They were going to see, is he going to fail? Uh, is he going to fall flat on his face? Or is he going to succeed? And Avery, whether you like it or not, it may not sound fair, but understand this. After this moment, people are going to be watching you. Some are watching with anticipation. Not just tomorrow, but the next days and weeks and months and years to come. They're going to see. And some are waiting with anticipation. What's God going to do with that young man? But others, they're watching in doubt. Skepticism. Let's see if that whole thing paid off. Let's see if that Christian education was worth it. Let's see if being in church was worth all that time. So that's it, Avery. Gilgal's over. The preparation is done. You've heard God speak to you. You've seen walls come down. You've seen what happens 
When someone's totally committed to God, now it's up to you. It's your mantle moment. What will you do? And honestly, only time will tell. For the rest of us tonight, let me just say in closing, parents, are you adequately preparing your children to leave Gilgal? If your kids aren't graduating tonight, and if you're not Miss Nicole, that's you. If they're not graduating tonight, hey, this ought to be a reminder, hey, this day's coming quick. I need to prepare my kids before they leave Gilgal. Hey, but, but Christians, are you making it a priority to be in the place where God speaks to you? I know you're, on a, you're here on a Sunday night, so maybe that's evident, but what about beyond church attendance? What about in your own personal devotions? Are you spending time in the word of God? Are you letting God speak to you? Are you making Bethel, the house of God, the place where God speaks to you a priority? Hey, what about those of us Christians who've got some walls in our heart and we know it and God knows it? He hasn't been able to really penetrate your heart like he should. He's wanting to do something in your life, but because you have walls up, you're not having anything happen. Hey, let me just challenge you. It's very simple. Do what Israel did. Go to the word of God and obey what the word of God and watch those walls come down. Hey, and for all of us, are we fully committed to God? Or are we satisfied with just living this wilderness life that the world has to offer? Because here's the truth is, not just for Avery, the world's watching us. And what do they see? Hey, I'll borrow from your theme. Hey, parents, now's the time to prepare them for leaving Gilgal. Hey, Christian, now's the time to get to Bethel where God can speak to you. Now's the time, Christian, to make sure those walls are down in your life so God can do things in you and through you. And tonight, Christian, now is the time to fully commit to God Step out in faith. Hey, now is all of our mantle moments. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for this time we have to celebrate the accomplishments of Avery.